The following podcast is a Sempronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the show. And today we have a special guest. Her name is Dr. Nadia, Dr. Nadia Padaguana. And she wrote a book uh, with Jason Fung, who is a specialist in the intermittent fasting world. So today we're talking all about intermittent fasting. We're talking about PCOS. We're talking about diabetes. We're talking about it all. So welcome, Dr. Nadia. Thank you, Chantal. So I've got this book right here. I'm so excited to read it. I haven't gotten a chance to read it yet, but I'm on my way this week. It's on my things to do list. So give us a little bit of your background. Like how did you get so involved in intermittent fasting and with the fasting method? Uh, Sort of a a long story. I was telling you a little earlier that the first uh, chapter introduction of our book uh, explains how I got here. It's a bit of a funny, a funny road and and I'm very thankful for this funny road because sometimes things don't work out as you plan. But I started working with Jason and Megan. So Jason Fung, as you said, the co-author of the book uh, that we wrote together, the PCOS plan, and Megan Ramos. So they are the co-founders of the fastingmethod.com program. So it's an online uh, dietary and intermittent fasting program. So I started working with them a little over four years ago because I met uh, Jason at a conference and I had been um, very interested in working with them and I reached out to him and lucky for me, they were looking for somebody with my background. Um, I had already been working in this field for uh, a little over 10 years. So I'd already been working in the, in sort of the nutrition, dietary, low carb field and very uh, much getting into intermittent fasting. I started working actually in Mozambique, which is where I am originally from, the country that I'm from uh, in Southeast Africa, um, right out of school. So as soon as I graduated from the naturopathic college, I went to Mozambique where I was from because I was interested in working in the nutrition uh, sort of field. Initially, I thought I was gonna work with mummies and babies. That was my intent, but unfortunately that wasn't um, available to me. So that I was then uh, invited to join a different field and start working with people with metabolic syndrome. So obesity and diabetes, which had not been my intent. That's not why I went to Mozambique. And, and you would think that in Mozambique, you'd be working, or at least naively, think that you'd be working with starving uh, people. But I ended up working with the overweight and, and affluent uh, community. And so that's how my journey began, a little unexpected. So along the way, I started to get more and more into the low-carb and real food world. Um, and, and in Mozambique, in those 10 years that I lived and worked in Mozambique, I started working a lot with women that had metabolic concerns, but also fertility concerns. And those two things were very clearly connected. And so that's how I started working with women with PCOS and um, women trying to conceive uh, that had some metabolic uh, issues. So then when I moved back to Canada, um, after being in Mozambique for 10 years, I moved back to Canada. I had my two children in the meantime. I uh, met Jason, as I said, and I started working with him and Megan initially in office as a naturopath, as a clinician um, for a couple of years. And, and the, for the last two years, our program has been exclusively online. Lucky for us now with this time of COVID, we have a lot of online experience. So we work exclusively online. So I'm no longer in the clinics. 
So first I want you to answer the metabolic syndrome conditions that are like obesity, diabetes, fatty liver, PCOS, hypertension, you know, those are all classified as metabolic syndrome conditions. Can you explain why they kind of tie those all together? That's a great question. So a while back, they, this used to be called syndrome X. Why were all these seemingly different conditions all grouped together, right? And the X factor, as you know, the unknown uh, factor is now known, or at least uh, known by many, to be insulin or insulin resistance. So that the link to all of these seemingly very different conditions is hyperinsulinemia uh, that then leads to insulin resistance. So it's this abnormal production of this hormone that we normally produce, so a normal amount um, produced all the time and in high amounts, which then leads, so hyperinsulinemia means uh, high levels of insulin in the blood, then leads to insulin resistance. So meaning that the body becomes resistant to this hormone. And then it's a sort of this uh, negative feedback loop, this snowball effect of the more insulin you have, the more resistant your body becomes, and the more resistant your body becomes, the more insulin you produce. And so the, this hyperinsulinemic state um, will then lead people to these different metabolic syndrome condi conditions, which are on a spectrum. I mean, it gets worse and worse as insulin resistance uh, builds up. Genetically, I think is the factor, because often we say, well, it's genetic. Genetically, different people will tend to show different expressions of insulin resistance. So some people will clearly show obesity from an early age. Other people will clearly show diabetes from an early age with or without the weight concern. And then there's a lot of hybrids, a lot of in-betweens. And then you have all these overlapping conditions like PCOS, hypertension, fatty liver, all these things that you, that you said. So they seem to be sort of random and unrelated, but in fact, they're all related to insulin resistance. What you develop first and how much of each of these conditions you develop, I think maybe is genetic and has to do with other factors as well. Okay, great. So I have a question from a listener that her name is, I think it's spelled Ashwanda, um, and she's from Atlanta, Georgia. And so I'm going to ask this question because I think this kind of ties in. She says, I've been trying to do one meal a day for the last 30 days, and I've actually lost 10 pounds. I'm actually eating in a three-hour window. So I start eating at five, but then I just kind of have snacks and maybe a dessert and then end up eating until eight o'clock. One of the things I'm wondering is if I have insulin resistance, the reason I ask is because when I eat a meal, I never feel like I'm full. So I, have, I do a great job of not stopping I have to do a great job of starting my meal and I can fast all day. But once I start, I feel like I'm just never satisfied and never full. And once my insulin goes up, I feel like it's really hard for it to get down. What is your opinion, Ashwanda in Atlanta, Georgia? That's a great question. So that this is clearly something that uh, people will notice, especially more insulin resistant people. So if you produce more insulin, you'll notice that once your insulin goes up and if you're in a hyperinsulinemic state, it's just, you just keep craving and grazing and, and have this tendency. So both the habits or the behavior will create hyperinsulinemia, but then hyperinsulinemia will create this desire to eat all the time. So I, I think that's her question. Is it related? And I think that it is. I think that the more insulin you produce, 
the harder it's going to be for you to stop eating because you feel like um, the higher your insulin, the more desire you have to keep eating, right? Your, your body's in one of two states. It's either in a fasted state or it's in a fed state, right? So once your insulin goes up, you go into storage mode. So I think that's what, she, what she's asking. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think it's related. So what would, in her condition, what would you say that would help her? One, because once she's getting her insulin too high, then it is like she just, then she just wants to keep eating and eating and eating. So yeah. the first question is, what are you eating for your main meal, right? That one meal, once you're starting, you know, especially the first, once you fasted all day, now what's the first thing you're eating is that spiking, you know, your blood sugar up so high that once it starts to drop, can you talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely. So that's a bit of a different question. I, th- I thought at least that she was asking if, if her not being able to stop eating had to do with hyperinsulinemia. But the question, I guess, then would be, what do you do to not produce so much insulin? So there's basically two major ways to, to lower your insulin levels, right? It's how you eat and what you eat. So that, that's an important thing. Number one, you're completely right, spot on, Chantel, which is she has to look at her diet, what you eat, especially at, as you start your meal, because how you break your fast or how you start your meal and how much of an insulin production you have is going to determine how you eat and how, what you feel like eating after. So our advice is to really focus on real foods, lower carb, higher healthy fats, um, so that you don't have such a huge spike. If you start with more processed foods, higher in carbs, sweeter tasting foods, then you're going to have a higher insulin response to begin with, and it's just going to build up from there. So looking at the diet. The second thing, and very important, this is where intermittent fasting comes in, and I appreciate that she's trying to follow uh, an intermittent fasting protocol and sounds like she's doing a great job at fasting all day. It's the, the idea of creating what's called TRE, time-restricted eating. So I personally am not a big fan of these big windows, uh, three, four-hour windows. I think it's best to create two separate windows, two shorter separate windows, um, and not have one big grazing window. So my usual advice, and, and that's where the famous 16-8 comes, comes in, right, where people uh, that are familiar with intermittent fasting, where you have two meals six to eight hours apart, and you fast for the other 16 to 18 hours. Mm, yeah, that's good. So let's talk about hyperinsulinemia for just a second, because, you know, isn't metformin the number one drug when, if you went to a traditional doctor and you said, they said, first, I want you to talk about what it is and then what normal doctors would treat it with. And what is your opinion of metformin? Are you a fan of it? And how would you know if you, if that's the direction you need to go in? That's a, another very spot on question. Um, as a dietary coach, it is important, online dietary coach, it's important that I do not give medical advice. So giving opinion on medication is, is tricky um, and something I should stay away from. However, we do address metformin in our book because it, as you said, it is the most commonly used, uh, I guess, first line therapy oral for uh, insulin resistant conditions. So people are often prescribed metformin for PCOS, for irregular cycles, for of course diabetes, um, and some people maybe even for other, for other things. I think metformin, at least of all the medications out there, is looking at the right thing. It's looking at the root cause, which is insulin. Whereas a lot of the other medications out there that are prescribed for people with reproductive concerns or metabolic concerns, maybe are looking at 
other things and they're not looking at insulin at all. So metformin is a medication that um, helps the body become more sensitive to insulin. So that's why it's used um, and it can be helpful. It can be helpful in many conditions. Um, the best way to address insulin and insulin resistance is to, again, look at what you're eating and how you're eating. What that means is choosing better foods that are going to create less of an insulin response and creating this time-restricted feeding pattern that you're not just grazing for a big, long window as, as uh, Shwanda was, uh, is that, was that her name, Shwanda? Mm -hmm. Sorry. As uh, Shwanda was, was describing, which is, which is a concern for many, right? Once they start eating, they can't stop. So creating this shorter windows of 30 to 60 minutes a little further apart. And then maybe creating some other alternate day patterns for fasting that are a little bit longer. So maybe instead of doing two meals um, the next day, maybe you do one meal. So people do that quite uh, easily with practice. Awesome. So let's talk about you for you personally. So you, what do you do? Give us a typical day. Like what does that typical day look like? What does a typical lunch look like? What does your eating window look like? Cause you look fantastic. Well, thank you. So I, I didn't mention this earlier. It's in our book. The reason why this this um, all became, or I became so passionate about this and so involved is because I developed PCOS uh, at a young age. Well, I guess I probably had it as a teenager, as most people uh, do, but I wasn't diagnosed with it as a teenager. I was only diagnosed with PCOS, I guess, at 30, 31, when I started trying to conceive. So I was thin, uh, still am thin, but genetically I was thin. And so obesity wasn't my my concern and probably because of that I was disregarded and never diagnosed with PCOS until much much later until I started prodding so what I did develop very very quickly with insulin resistance was of course all the symptoms signs and symptoms of PCOS for those that are familiar with polycystic ovary syndrome I had the abnormal hair growth I had terrible skin terrible acne um and then I had the irregular cycles and no ovulation. I wasn't ovulating at all. And so couldn't get pregnant, of course. So that was, those were my first symptoms once I got off the pill, because the pill was masking all of those things. And that's why I was put on the pill as a, a young teenager to begin with, because I had all of these symptoms. But instead of diagnosing me with PCOS, my doctor recommended the pill as if that was going to solve the problem. And it, of course it didn't, because the minute that I wanted to get pregnant, the pill wasn't going to help me. So at the time, my doctor recommended fertility treatments. And my doctor, my gynecologist, told me that I would be obese uh, very quickly because of PCOS. He made the connection between PCOS and obesity. What ended up happening is that I did gain some weight, but I developed diabetes and hypertension as a young person, very thin. So obesity wasn't my concern, but diabetes and hypertension was. So at that time, I went on a strict low-carb diet because I knew that to help women get pregnant at the time already. So this was my, my daughter's going to be 10 in a couple of months, my, my, my eldest child. So I then went on a strict low carb diet. And of course, no surprise to you, I got pregnant. That's what helped me get pregnant. Unfortunately, I didn't stay on the diet because I didn't know enough. I didn't know about all this important stuff that we know today about insulin resistance and uh, prevention of pregnancy complications and whatnot. Um, so I did have some pregnancy complications between my first and second child, my metabolic syndrome got much worse, meaning I did gain the weight. Uh, I did uh, develop, uh, was on medication for, as I said, diabetes, hypertension, unfortunately, some mood things as well, postpartum. And then when I tried to, when I started trying to conceive for my second child, of course, I was much, much, much worse off. And that's when my doctor then prescribed metformin for the fertility journey, which likely helped 
because it did make my body more sensitive to insulin. But I didn't do all the other dietary things that I, I wish I, I had the second time around. But during that pregnancy and after my second child was born, I decided to put all these pieces together. And so then I went on my healing journey. Keep in mind that while I was trying to lose weight, get off diabetic medication and uh, hypertension medication and all of that, I fall, and that's the time uh, soon after that, I started working with Jason Fung and Megan Ramos. So I did some healing protocols, uh, very strict low carb ketogenic diet and some alternate day intermittent fasting patterns and even some extended fasting patterns. I, I often did five days, three day fasts and that, that was my healing journey. And that's what I help people uh, do today. Currently, and for the past, my second child is almost seven. And for the past, I don't know, five years, four years, I've been in what's called maintenance mode, right? So maintenance mode, I always joke, is a bit of a random. Um, I eat in a time-restricted feeding pattern. I either have one meal a day or two meals a day. Never more than that. I don't snack. I don't graze. I focus on, I have this food pyramid that I follow that I created a real food pyramid. So the foods at the base of this food pyramid are the foods that create less of an insulin response. And I can tell you what foods I put on there. It's the leafy green vegetables, the healthy fats. So what do I consider healthy fats? Things like butter, ghee, coconut oil, avocado oil, olive oil, lard, tallow. So all the real fats. Um, so leafy greens with the healthy fats, avocados, olives, eggs, bacon, salmon, and sardines. These are the eight magic foods that are at the base of my food pyramid. These are the foods that I encourage people to eat to satiety. They're high in fiber and high in fat, um, healthy fat. And, and, and then I build from there. Everything else is what I call garnish. So a certain amount of protein and protein is of course very individual. You have to figure out what your protein requirement is and other of course, vegetables um, have uh, their, their carbohydrates. So you, you have to figure out what your ideal carbohydrate uh, tolerance is. And then in the midst of that food pyramid, I have some fruit. So some people following a lower carb diet tend to go towards the berries more than other fruits. Um, and then on top of that, I have the nuts and seeds in a certain amount of nuts and seeds because they, they also produce insulin like every other food. And then at the very tip, a little bit of dairy. Dairy is very popular in the low-carb diets, as you probably know. However, we know that people that are very insulin resistant will have a very high insulin response to dairy. So it's not that I exclude it. I just make that known so that people are not led astray. Awesome. And that's my food pyramid. Hey guys, one of the things that will take your weight loss to the next level is coaching. You can either work one-on-one -on -one with me or one of our certified private coaches. If you'd like, you can schedule your free call. It's a 10-minute strategy call just to see if coaching is going to really take you to the next level. The other thing is listening to the audiobook. Listening to the audiobook and getting the video course that I've done, people are seeing dramatic results. If you just listen to the audiobook 30 minutes a day over and over and over again and get the video course, go to ChantelRayway.com and check out the video course. You won't be sorry you did. So let's talk about PCOS for just a second because I'm like you, I have a nine-year-old son and it's funny because right before I got pregnant, probably about a year later, um, I got pregnant. But before then I went to the gynecologist and she told me you have PCOS. And I said, okay, well, how do you know I have PCOS? And she says, well, if you have 
three of these symptoms, uh, you have PCOS. So one problem I had, I had a lot of hair on my face, um, like dark hair. And I literally, to this day, just so you know, um, I get, you know, the, the treatments that you get on your face, like the laser hair removal, I get laser hair removal on my face and I've gotten it done for the last about at once every six weeks. And I've gotten it done for the last 25 years. Isn't that crazy? That I not crazy. Get- I've done uh, uh, myself and every other woman that I know with PCOS has embarked on that same journey. Painful, expensive, embarrassing. Expensive, yes. You know, so if people think that PCOS is just a little bit of acne, no big deal, and a few missed periods, as Dr. Fung would say, it's a lot more debilitating than that. Yeah. So every six weeks, I go get my um, hair lasered on my face. And then she said that if you have any cysts on your ovaries in an ultrasound exam. So she had done an ultrasound exam and saw that I had cysts on my ovaries. And then just people who have higher levels of just male hormones, like when she was taking my blood test or any kind of acne or stuff like that. And so what would you say? That's what I just remember back then. And and believe it or not, I kind of had cleaned up my diet a little bit. I had started eating a little bit more low carb at the time. I just started doing intermittent fasting. That's what had I lost over 35 pounds from intermittent fasting. And then I wrote a book about it. But I, before that, I didn't know about intermittent fasting, but I did do a little bit of a low carb. And then poof, she had told me, she was like, honey, I don't think you're ever going to get pregnant. And then I didn't even, at the time, I didn't really want kids. I was like, okay, well, no big deal. I'm just not going to have any. And then a year later, I ended up getting pregnant with my son. That's an awesome story. And these are the kind of stories that I live for. And of course, this is what I found out early on in my career. People were getting pregnant accidentally, quote unquote, as soon as they started this diet for metabolic syndrome. Uh, And then I developed this reputation for getting women pregnant. It was a bit of a joke in in my city where I worked. So that's stories like yours. And And one of my friends, one of my good friends, she had, it was right after I wrote my book and she had said, you know, I want to get pregnant. And I said, you need to just try doing intermittent fasting. She did it two months later. She got pregnant right after she did intermittent. She didn't do low carb. She just did the intermittent fasting. So what would you say? as far as that goes is have you seen people who have just done intermittent fasting and get pregnant like the one i'm telling you about or are most of them doing the intermittent fasting and low carb that's um very spot on i think that you're going to get best results with both to be honest and it's going to be easier it's a lot easier to fast if you're also following a, a lower carb real food diet if you eat a lot of processed foods and more carbohydrates fasting is very challenging because as as ashwanda mentioned as soon as you start eating your insulin goes up and especially those types of foods and then if your insulin goes up it's very hard to fast um, you also c- can get if you have a very high insulin response when you eat which i used to get all the time because i only ever ate carbs my whole life that's why i probably developed pcos because nobody in my family has pcos um, so you know we know that there's a genetic component to pcos but i don't think that that's how i got pcos i think i just de- I, I created it because I ate every few hours and I only ate carbs. And that's why I ate every few hours because I had such a high insulin response. Then I had what's called rebound hypoglycemia, which I think 90 to 95%, 99% of the women that I work with with PCOS have rebound hypoglycemia. This idea, and I, you asked me this, uh, 
just before you mentioned this, just before we started talking today about this low blood sugar that people get. And so they're scared to go low carb or they're scared to do intermittent fasting. That low blood sugar might very well be what's called rebound hypoglycemia. That means that you're eating uh, a diet too high in carbs or too high in foods that are producing insulin, which is creating a lot of insulin. And then that insulin is taking too much sugar out of your blood. So then you're getting this rebound hypoglycemia. Okay, meaning low blood sugar just after you eat an hour or two. So then you need to eat again. And then you're in this, you, you want to fast, but you need to eat all the time. So if you want to fast, the best thing is to change your diet as well. But I do think that fasting is much more powerful because no matter what you eat, as we said in that food pyramid, even the, the healthier quote unquote foods are going to have an insulin response. So if your issue is too much insulin, you want to lower that insulin. Fasting is going to do that. So I want to really stick onto this hyperinsulinemia and, and the definition. So from what I understand, isn't that the amount that the amount of insulin in the blood is a little bit higher than considered normal among people who don't have diabetes? Is that, is that a good definition of it? Yes. So hyper you, means you, tell, you explain what you, why, what, explain in an easy way. What does that mean? Yes, I will try. <laughs> so hyperinsulinemia. Hyper means too much. Insulin is the hormone. Emia means in the blood. So too much insulin in the blood. You can have too much insulin in the blood um, for a number of reasons. Number one is that you're eating too often. You're just eating all the time. And keep in mind, this is why there's so much talk about intermittent fasting that for the last 50 plus years, people have been encouraged to eat small meals many times a day. We've been sold this myth for just 50, uh, a, a little over 50 years because humans have been around for a whole lot longer than that, many thousands of years more than that, and have never eaten small meals many times a day, right? And all of a sudden in the last 50 plus years, because of a lot of uh, influences, particularly industry influence, right? We have been told to eat many times a day. And this eating many times a day has caused us to produce insulin, okay? Producing insulin is not negative. We need insulin. Insulin has many functions, but we need to produce the right amount of insulin and insulin needs to drop. We can't be in a high insulin state all the time, just like you can't be in a high, uh, any hormonal state all the time, right? Hormones go up and down and they have functions. So insulin needs to go up to do what it needs to do and then it needs to go down. The problem is because people are eating all the time, they're snacking all the time, grazing all the time, they're told to, their insulin is staying up all the time. So this is going to create this hyperinsulinemic state where you have high blood, high blood insulin all the time. You're not supposed to have high blood insulin all the time. This high amount of insulin all the time makes your body become resistant to it. By resistant, it just means it doesn't respond to it like it's supposed to. So because the body and all the cells in the body have receptors to the insulin, insulin is, is a hormone, it's a messenger, it's like a lock and key, right? So all the cells in your body have this lock to this key, which is insulin, because they need to. Insulin is important. But because insulin is always high, your body stops responding to it. So the, it's not working anymore, right? So then your body in response starts to pump out a lot more insulin. And that's the organ, the pancreas. The pancreas produces the right amount of insulin. People who don't produce insulin uh, are called type 1 diabetics, right? Like little kids who cannot produce insulin. They have a condition where they cannot produce insulin. They develop type 1 diabetes and then they have to go on insulin injections, okay? So that's how important insulin is. You need it. Otherwise, you can't 
store fat, you can't, you know, kids can't grow, they, they will perish, unfortunately. So it's important to have insulin. But what happens when you have a constantly high amount of insulin? You go into the storage mode, this retention mode. And that's what we're seeing in the last 50 plus years. That's why so many people have diabetes and obesity. Diabetes, as you said, is a state of hyperinsulinemia, high insulin, which then develops insulin resistance. So then the insulin can no longer do its job, which is to take the blood sugar out of the blood. So people get high blood sugars. That's called diabetes. But you can be insulin resistant and not be diabetic. Remember, we said that insulin resistance is the X factor. It can, you can develop many different conditions. One of them is diabetes, but maybe you're not prone to diabetes, but instead you'll go into just the storage mode. Because the other thing that insulin does is it puts you in storage mode. So what happens when you go into storage mode? Your body stores a lot more fat than it should and constantly. So you become morbidly obese, but you might not be diabetic. And I work with these two groups of people. I work with some people that are very thin, but highly diabetic. And I work with some people that are very overweight, but not diabetic. And then there's a whole lot of in-betweens that have both. And both are caused by insulin resistance. Does that make Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So let me read you one more question that we got. Um, And this is from Sandy in Jonesboro, Arkansas. She says, I eat a really clean diet and do intermittent fasting. I fast at least in a six hour, I eat in a six hour or eight hour window daily. But lately I've been, as soon as I finish my meal, I'm eating a full pack of Skittles. I eat a really clean meal, but I have a very, very big sweet tooth. So I ate a pack of Skittles. I ate the entire pack. And as soon as I did, I started feeling awful. My heart started beating faster. I started feeling weak. And I just thought it was a fluke. Fluke. I did it the next day and the same thing happened. Did it the next day after that and the same thing happened. So now I'm finding when I eat too much sugar, I'm wondering, should I check to see if I'm diabetic? The next morning I fasted and did my, took my fasting blood sugar and it was 95 and I looked online and it's normal. Any thoughts of why I felt so bad after eating one pack of Skittles? I know they're not good, but I shouldn't have felt that bad. Well, possibly uh, eating a pack of Skittles would be terrible for anyone, I think. Mm -hmm. I think that maybe if you're just used to eating a pack of Skittles all the time, you don't notice it. But maybe uh, Sandy has stayed away from sugar for a while because she's had such a clean diet. And then having that huge overload of sugar uh, is not going to feel great because you go into storage mode, right? Insulin goes way up. And insulin has, as I said, many, many functions. So... I mean, not to mention all the processed stuff and all the sugar in in the Skittles. Um, Digestively, she's just not going to do well. Her inflammation goes up. A lot of things go up when you eat sugar. Sugar is a poison. I know people don't want to think about it that way. It's kind of become taboo to talk about that. But this is the reality. It's an addictive um, substance and it's a toxin. And and like all toxins... um, it's dependent on the dose. And so that's a huge dose. Uh, I don't know if she's diabetic. It doesn't sound like she might be based on those morning blood sugars, but the only way to diagnose whether you're diabetic or not is to do it uh, through some more lab tests. She would have to check what her average blood sugar is. Um, there's different tests for, for testing diabetes. It's not your fasting blood sugar, your one number that's going to diagnose whether you're diabetic or not. Awesome. So as far as 
let's talk a little bit more about the two meals because I feel the same way for you. It's like for me, when I want to be in a weight loss mode, I really just can, I have one meal and I have a little snack during the day if I want to be in a weight loss mode. If I'm just being like in maintenance mode, then I can just eat two small meals a day with no snacking in between. The second I do any kind of snacking, I can start seeing I'm gaining three pounds, gaining four pounds. What have you seen for you and in your patients have been the best success record for weight loss? Like if somebody just says, look, I'm in a lull, I'm not doing well, I, you know, we're getting all these emails where people are saying, you know, I lost, I did intermittent fasting. I've lost 20 pounds. I've got 20 more to lose. And I can't break that last 10 pounds or that last 20 pounds. They're stuck right there. What would you say is the number one thing that they could do? Well, if they aren't already, they need to do exactly what you're saying. Full meals, no snacks, okay? That has to be the first. Basically, I can walk you through my five pillars, okay, if you'd like. These are my five pillars to lowering insulin and to losing weight. And so pillar number one is TRE, time-restricted eating. That just means full meals, no snacks. But there are many different intermittent fasting schedules that we have worked with people on, including some longer fasts to break through a plateau. All right, so keeping in mind that there are many different schedules that we could work on. Number two is called early time restricted uh, eating or feeding, which is uh, Dr. Funk calls the critical importance of meal timing. If you eat earlier in the day, the exact same food earlier in the day, you're going to produce less insulin. If you eat later in the day, which we know is a bad habit that people have and have created, having very late meals, that's going to produce more insulin. So if you're in a weight loss mode or want to be, eating earlier is going to be a key factor. The third thing is what you eat. So I walked you through earlier my food pyramid and which foods will create less of an insulin response. So focusing on those, changing your diet to make your fasting easier, but also to lower your insulin through diet. And then four and five, which we could talk about uh, for another 10 hours on, is stress and sleep management. Because stress and sleep will produce hormones, stress and, and lack of sleep, of course, poor sleep will produce hormones that will in, in and of themselves lead to insulin resistance, hyperinsulinemia. So you'll produce more insulin if you don't sleep well and if you're more stressed. So you have to learn how to manage stress and how to sleep better. And that in and of itself is extremely important and hence why it's part of my five pillars. Love it. Well, I'm so excited to dive in. You guys, here's the book, The PCOS Plan with Dr. Nadia. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. That's awesome. Thank you. So I work for the fastingmethod.com program, and that's where you can find me. And we have lots of resources. We have a great group. We have a, a membership program where people can join in. We have focus groups, support groups, uh, all kinds of resources. And we have one-on-one -on -one coaching for those that prefer that. Awesome. Well, you guys stay tuned. We'll have another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.